welcome to the International Bus Podcast brought to you by Worldbee. I'm your co-host, Tanya Falkner. And I'm your co-host, Robert Rogi. And in today's episode, we're talking with Konstantin Drunch. Konstantin is the chief researcher at NIMSI Insights, where he's responsible for global research on language services and technology markets. Previously, he held various positions in marketing and journalism. And today we want to talk about recent research that NIMSI did about the top 100 LSPs of 2019. Thanks for joining us, Konstantin. Well, thanks for inviting me. I'm honored. Cool. So, yeah, it's always exciting. You know, I think that everybody in the industry is waiting for the top 100 report uh, every year. So why don't we just start by getting an overview, since you're the chief researcher, an overview of like, you know, how you conduct the research, you know, how you work with and collect the data. And, and let's just go into the report and the research itself. So the methodology behind that uh, list, how do we compile the top 100? Yes. Right. There are multiple sources. So we usually kick off with a survey and we invite the companies to participate and provide their data. Some of the companies are public or have the accounts in the public in various databases. So we can just uh, simply download the uh, latest annual accounts and uh, check their numbers, which are fiscal and provable. Some of them are not public, are private. Actually, most of the companies in the industry are private. And out of these private companies, uh, there's a fair bunch that uh, don't want to disclose how big they are, the financials is here. So we have to chase them or find their information in some journalistic ways, asking around the competitors, checking number of project managers, uh, different indicators like that. So then we compile this into a big table, verify the data by the best means available, analyze who has grown, who hasn't grown, why, and uh, then it becomes this big report called the NIMSI 100. Mm -hmm. Cool. In terms of your findings, can you summarize those for us? Yeah, so this has been, the past year has been really good for language services. If we look at the top 100 companies, uh, add up all their revenues for the previous years and compare The last year, this has grown nearly by 11%, which is uh, fantastic. And the total growth, including the companies that were acquired, like SDL has acquired Donnelly, for example, has been 18% in the, in the top 100. So a really good year. Some segments are moving faster than others, and some of this growth is impacted by M&A. But uh, on the whole, despite all these price pressures, all the threats from uh, machine translation about which people usually talk at the conferences. No, no, business is booming, like uh, a record year. Mm -hmm. Awesome. I'm sure that everyone who's listening is happy to hear that this is the case. Well, uh, <laughs> happy doesn't quite describe it because what's happening is, of course, the companies are getting bigger. Their owners typically get richer. I mean, revenue doesn't mean profit, right? You can get bigger, get bigger problems, but then maybe your profit didn't increase so much. And this is often the case with uh, rapid growth, for example. Then the translators, okay, they get more opportunities with the translation companies, but does that mean that uh, their personal income has increased? Not always, right? So the translators who sell their time for money This kind of market growth only gives them an idea that uh, the job is well-positioned and not going to be replaced anytime soon. 
but it doesn't mean that uh, you're getting better compensated. And the clients uh, have these bigger companies to work with, perhaps more mature, perhaps more automated, but they still have to make a good selection who to work with because big doesn't always equal best for them. You know, you said in total, the industry is growing. And I believe that what your report found that the total translation market or the industry is now at $53 billion. And just for a frame of reference, can you relate it to any other industries in terms of comparable size? Right. For me, the industry with a similar size would be movie production. The $53.5 billion estimate is something that we work on extensively to understand what is the actual size of the market. And this year, we have gone to dire straits to verify the number. We've sent like 80 official requests to statistics authorities in different countries. And uh, we asked for the turnover and the activity code related to translation and interpreting. And something like a quarter of this number can be proven like a quarter of 53 billion appears on the official numbers. And so many companies that uh, do provide language services, uh, I don't know, your accountancy bureau can provide uh, language services, your dubbing studio can provide uh, language services, a language school can provide uh, language services and translation and interpreting. So this is a very fragmented market and we try as best we can piece it together from uh, multiple sources. And then, of course, uh, you might have translators and interpreters working on the buyer side. Maybe you have this big uh, corporation like Volkswagen and BMW, I don't know, just as theoretical brand names. And they would have huge teams uh, inside. The, the, and the European Commission has a thousand, uh, two thousand translators inside. So this all uh, contributes to this uh, larger number. So translation, this activity that we see all around us uh, in European capitals, in uh, bigger cities, but we don't usually come into contact with this on a daily basis. I mean, you probably don't order translations every day. I don't know, as a technology company or as a marketing unit, you don't order translations every day, but still it's all around you. And uh, yeah, mm -hmm. it's pretty significant out there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. How would you, if the $53 billion was like a layer cake, for example, or, you know, some kind of, like, what are the layers? What comprises this total market size? Like, how would you break it down? Well, it can be broken up by geography, like Europe and the United States are the two biggest hubs to which this revenue could be attributed with China and Japan as underdogs, but growing. And it can be broken up by the services. And uh, there are so many services that uh, can be considered language services. The primary ones, of course, are translation and interpreting. But then you have dubbing, subtitling, which are uh, included into the spy. You have uh, multilingual campaigns, a little bit of uh, content management, translation technology. All of this makes a very multi-layered cake, right? With some sprinkling on top. <laughs> mm -hmm. You work with Wordby, so you can consider that a berry uh, on top of the icing. <laughs> we like being a berry. <laughs> yeah, it's the best berry on the market. <laughs> on the cake. <laughs> yes. In your opinion, what is the most interesting thing about this year's report? Well, it's so, so detailed. We found so much new information 
And I still keep up publishing follow-up stuff about the different sector sizes, geographies, and so on. So it's still going. There's so much new info out there in the open without paywall. So I would say the sheer scale is much bigger. And also we found, what, 185 companies that have $10 million or more in revenue. And some of them keep coming in and keep coming in. So like yesterday at Gala, I realized that some of the companies on the list are twice bigger. They've provided some information, but then internally they realized they've only given up some of the data and there's more. So there are many surprises in our industry. There are many companies that no one heard about, but they're huge. right? And Maybe they're working with just a few of the clients. Maybe they're working remote area. Maybe they're in defense and they have huge contracts. So. Theoretically, you don't see them in every day, like you don't have marketing out there, but uh, they do compete for some clients. They do compete for uh, translators, their potential targets for uh, technology. They can play in the acquisition game. So there are many, many surprises. If we go back to this uh, analogy with a cake, so mm-hmm. you eat it and wow, you found some, some, I don't know, something new inside. It could be something really hard as stone and your teeth fall out, but it could be something very sweet, which gives it extra flavor. Or, you know, those pop rocks, the rocks that they hide in the chocolate and then it makes that the popping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or maybe there's a the, maybe there's a fortune cookie they pull out and, and you read something. Yeah, and then you read something in the NIMSI Top 100 report, right? <laughs> Well, I wouldn't call the report a fortune cookie, but uh, if you like that, <laughs> we might just stand in your way. <laughs> hmm. So what would be like the confidence, you know, interval that you have in the top 100 list here? Like mentioning, you know, like companies that are hard to find or, or hard to get information on, like, like how, how accurate do you think the list is really? I mean, in this industry, it's not a very standardized industry. Mm-hmm. It's not like microchip manufacturers, of which maybe two are important and uh, the figures uh, determine everything else. We've calculated that uh, NIMSI 100 is res- responsible for like, what, maybe 7% of the total market. So in the remaining 93%, there could be a, a lot of stuff hiding. You know, in this murky waters, it could be huge fish. <laughs> you want a different analogy. So no more cakes. Let, let's, soak, uh, let's soak bombs, swamps, and uh, non-transparent waters. Right. What sectors or industries are most interesting or profitable for LSPs looking into the future? Profitability is not usually uh, tied with the sector. Of course, you can have more well-positioned sectors in the regulated industries like financial, legal documentation, life sciences specifically, where the margin of error is uh, so thin and you need to have documents checked. Many times you need to have the documents translated. This is just uh, compliance and regulation. So these sectors have always been uh, very, very attractive for LSPs. And the life sciences uh, has been growing really, really significantly in the past years because there's so many new drugs, so many new medical devices that you have to work with in hospitals, in consumer devices. There's a lot of documentation for those that needs to be translated. So these sectors are the mainstay of the industry. They're very important, just like technical translations uh, have been the, the, the basis of the industry 
some years back. The growth, though, comes from a multitude of different you know, small pockets, smaller. In the past few years, the, the multimedia localization has been very important because of uh, Netflix and uh, their competitors, this uh, streamed television, which is uh, coming into force in many forms and many platforms and countries. So multimedia localization, uh, games are in the long-term boom. And uh, when you translate a game, translation is a part of the game. The text, it affects how the players like the game. So it has to be really good. So this is an interesting area, although it already has a stiff competition. Many companies try to go there, set up gaming teams. And it's not too big uh, games compared to life sciences, for example. So what else? Healthcare interpreting, I think, is a very interesting market, but only in certain geographies where there is regulation to make uh, hospitals uh, support uh, multilingual patients in the language. Right? So United States uh, primarily, uh, then to some extent in Sweden and UK, uh, maybe in, in, in Japan. Uh, so there's probably many sectors that appear and disappear, like translations for cryptocurrencies have been a thing in the past. But you don't hear about it so much anymore. So this kind of like a really pop up, like bubbles coming from uh, under the water. Mm-hmm. <laughs> some keep keep on bubbling, and uh, in some places the bubbles are no more. So mm-hmm. in this brutal underwater ecosystem of the localization <laughs> industry, like <laughs> like if you were giving advice to an LSP, where would you tell them not to be? Well, there are so many venues and opportunities to, to pursue. You don't want to be in a sector that is going to be like super strongly disrupted by technology. And you don't want to be in sectors that have nothing to do with your current specialty. Right? So if you, you see, okay, media localization is growing 200% this year. This is the best sector to be in. And then you don't know anything about media localization. And you say, okay, now I'm a dubbing company. And uh, you make investment into systems, engineers, and equipment and the studios, and then you have no clients at all, that's not the best place to be, right? You can get really distracted by all the opportunities in the market, maybe by content creation, or even go into life sciences without uh, understanding what's going on there. And then you won't be able to build a sustainable, profitable business, most likely, and your core activity will suffer because you've invested your energy somewhere else. So... Yeah, look at good sectors, but uh, do not dilute your core message. So growth should be captured in a way that is allowing you to, to retain the core of your business and not neglect it. Hey, as you know, we like to keep things mostly non-commercial around here. And we like to just stick to interviewing the guests about fascinating subjects. But we would like to take a moment to mention a little bit about Word Be Translator. WordBee Translator is the translation management system developed by WordBee over the last 10 years. So we are celebrating 10 years now. It's all in one system, so you can manage projects. It also has linguistic tools. It has tools for finance, business analytics, and it's been around for 10 years, so it does pretty much anything you want. Before working for WordBee, I also used WordBee Translator. One of my favorite things about it was actually the invoicing because it made it really easy to manage supplier invoices, create them, and just not have to deal too much with the financial side of things. But other customers appreciate other things, like for example, it's a native cloud technology, so it's really collaborative. 
you know you can keep track of what's going on in there at uh, any any moment in your project it's easy to set up different job assignment methods you know you can check your stats at any time you can see how your project managers are performing you can see how your translators are doing and yeah it does pretty much everything you want it ends up fitting your organization like a glove as we say so that was just a word about Werby translator now without further ado back to the podcast Do you think it's still safer for LSPs or even newer LSPs that are just popping up now to go with industries that have been around for a while instead of, like you mentioned before, cryptocurrency translation and stuff like that? Yeah, there's been a company that's set up specifically for cryptocurrency translation. I haven't heard about them anything for, for years, so maybe they're not around anymore. It's safer to go where, the, where you have the clients. I mean, it's the best time to start your business. It's so easy to register a company. You can do it with a few clicks online. You can choose a country from where you want to do business. It's easier than ever to find translators. It's easier than ever to buy software to organize them into teams and to make your process structured, right? So setting up business is at its easiest right now. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's reflected in the numbers of uh, translation companies that are registered every year. So they keep going up and up and up. And uh, of all sizes, the numbers of small translation companies are going up, medium translation companies going up. In China, for example, in the last 10 years, I think they've seen a tenfold increase in the number of companies that potentially provide language services. It's really very easy, and uh, the way to do it is, of course, to find a client for whom you're going to be important, strategic. So someone that you have a direct connection with, not to just you know set up shop and look for anything on the market, but to start already with a very firm idea and maybe a few contracts under your belt. And then from there, you can move into the other sectors, explore the opportunities and so on. But Start with the people with whom you have a strong personal relationship and who are growing, whose business is expanding, and you are a strategic element of business. You're supporting them in a global expansion. Mm-hmm. And um, are there any markets that are sort of untouched or undeveloped that might have potential in the near future? Geographically speaking or like service? Yeah, either way, either sector or geographically. Well, geographically, uh, the African languages, the Middle Eastern languages, I think, are somewhat underserved. If you look at Iran, it's a huge country with uh, many people, good income, many levels. So it's been a closed-up country. Now it's opening up, so many opportunities spring up from there. Farsi, uh, Persian is a huge language. So there could be many opportunities, but it's not easy to get in there. Um, right, in Africa, right. there's so many languages, so many people. Again, I have to be very careful though, right? The political situation changes all the time. Some countries have good levels of income. Maybe they have consumers there, both from the, um, like individual consumers and businesses. Other countries are more difficult. And there are what, maybe 800 languages to cover in Africa. So again, it's not easy. Where there's a lot of complexity, a lot of barriers, the companies that can make it in there and uh, become established in this area, they will see good business in the future because no one will be able to contest this position for a long time. If you go into a sector where there's uh, a lot of competition, then maybe you win a client too, but to expand beyond 1 million, to expand beyond 10 million, it's really, really difficult. 
Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and there, if I recall, there weren't any companies from the EMEA on the top 100, right? Right, right. The, all of the big companies, uh, they come from the Western world uh, with uh, some in China and Japan, of course. Brazil, for example, they have zero, maybe one company that has 10 million more. And it's a huge market. It's a large country. In India, there may be uh, maybe two companies that have $10 million or more. And it's a billion people, right? Like, it's incredible to look at this kind of opportunity and to see so few local players. But then again, let's say you have a company that processes a million words in India and a million words in, let's say, in Denmark. Mm. The company that does the same volume in Denmark would be 10 times larger in terms of revenue. Mm-hmm. Right. We said earlier the, the translation market was worth $53 billion dollars. Do you know what those numbers look like if you divide them amongst clients, translators, and language technology? Well, uh, I can tell you the size of the language technology market because I measure, I'm a technology geek and I really like going into the technology sphere. So uh, I'm estimated that the last time it was about 780 million. So not even 1 billion out of mm-hmm. uh, 53 The technology is not a huge part of the market. The money comes from scalable human services. And if you want to, to know the part of the translators in this 53 billion, well, it's at least one third, at mm-hmm. least, maybe more. That's massive. Yeah, well, it should be. I mean, the translators uh, are actually the ones who do all, all the actual uh, language work. Absolutely. Mm. Kudos uh, for saying that. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's true. I mean, it's funny too because it's like sometimes you go to conferences and people can talk for a long time before they ever mention a translator, which is sort of uh, surprising. I did my share of translation work when I was like, in the first year. I think one of my first jobs was as a translator for mm-hmm. a UK company, and uh, I was living in Russia at the time, and I got a check in the post, a paper check for something like eighty pounds only, and no bank would be able to cash that so i just put it on the glass and uh, i think it still sits somewhere uh, on the glass (laughs) you should frame it (laughs) (laughs) i've never seen a handwritten check before that time so speaking of like translators and how the market's divided up so i i I think you mentioned seven percent right is what you said earlier that uh, the top 100 occupies seven percent of the total market and then somewhere in the report i actually saw 20 percent But like, let's talk about fragmentation and consolidation. What's the trend? The trend is that the large companies are getting larger, and uh, the outpace, of course, the smaller companies. The top ten companies, I had. Let me check the numbers actually, so that uh, I don't like it that much. Too. But they had as much money as the next ninety, right? So ten companies and ninety close uh, close revenue. I think even more money is in the hands of those uh, 10 rather than the next 90. And uh, in other industries, you see that uh, a lot, right? Uh, You see that the most successful companies with uh, the best business model, more resources, they quickly capture all of the market and they squeeze everyone else out of the space. Think, I don't know, uh, telecommunications. How many mobile operators uh, are available to you? Not that many. And there used to be a time when uh, anyone could start a company like that. In a language services space, because it's so easy to set up a company, because uh, the clients are sticky, they stay with their favorite provider, 
despite the product being a little more expensive sometimes for years and decades. So everyone can have a slice of the pie. Isn't it great? Like you can set up shop and you can win a client. And uh, if you're good in terms of service and uh, support, and uh, if you're strategic, then you can stay with them for a very long time, even though there's tough competition on the market. I mean, local providers can always win a client against one of the big MOVs like SDL or TransPerfect or be localized just because they speak the local language, they have the local feel, especially in Germany. The client would go with a small company that, that has offices right next door. So our industry is much more democratic <laughs> in, in, in this regard. Anyone can stay at, at this stage of market development. Mm -hmm. So is there a point at which the largest companies are going to see their like consolidation of the market plateau for those reasons? I, I can't see that far ahead. Uh, okay. Yeah, at, that's, at the, that's... At the top level clients, at the top level clients, the competition, of course, is becoming global. I've uh, done the uh, regional market research in Finland last year, and I've interviewed quite a few of the Finnish clients. Uh, and Finland, you know, it's Nordic society, very egalitarian. At the same time, their language is very difficult. They have great stickiness with local companies. So some of the top buyers in the country uh, knew only MOBs. They wouldn't go for a small local company. Because the small local company didn't have the technology or the capacity to deliver 20 to 30 languages in a scalable and automated way. And the MOVs, of course, could do that. So at some levels of the market where you have these large corporations with successful globalization programs, the consolidation is much faster. At lower levels of the market in terms of size of the budget and technical requirements towards a localization program, I think there's much more space for a small local company that provides quality service and brings you candy and a cake for your birthday. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that a lot of times local service providers would win over the big guys. Can you tell geographically where that would be the case? You mentioned Germany already. Any others? In most countries, these medium-sized clients would be divided among the local providers. Mm -hmm. I mean, let me have a let me think. So, like uh, the UK, uh, the Western Europe, traditionally expansion areas for let's say American MOVs. If you go into a smaller market, maybe they don't want to maintain their offices there. It's just not going to be profitable. The smaller the market, the more opportunity for a local company. I don't think MOVs will go to Albania or Macedonia or places like that. I mean, no offense to Albania and Macedonia, of course. <laughs> the local markets are too small for uh, for expansion. I think Macedonia is okay. They're not going to take it personally. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of language technology, then, how would you break it down between the largest companies and then medium-sized companies? And then geographically, just in terms of language technology. And, you know, just like disclaimer, like, you, you know, I think I'm interested in that because I'm, well, Tanya and I are the marketing of WordB, but <laughs> like, how would you break it down? Well, so that you know, we have um, top 30 in language technology somewhere uh, deep in our stashes. It's not published, but uh, we do have it. And uh, we know where WordB stands in terms of revenue compared to, to other providers. Uh -huh. That being said, the technology space 
the biggest players there are potentially machine translation providers for these big IT giants. We don't know their revenues, but potentially they look huge, right? Google Translate, Microsoft Translator, Amazon Translate, GTCom, whatever. They might have the most revenue. Then that, that's the market where you don't compete. Then there is the market where you are presently translation productivity tools. And it's, of course, dominated by SDL, which has the largest portfolio. And then uh, there are all the other companies that go after SDL's client and try, try to win some of them. It's an extremely fragmented space with some tools that work best for translators and some tools that are specifically designed for software engineers to localize their applications. And some of them are pretty significant and they outpace translators because software engineers generally have more money. Like if you look at the total size of the language technology, 780 million, I would say $800 million. In the uh, software for developers, one company could be bigger, right? like one operation could be bigger in revenue. You can find companies like um, Zendesk uh, that is probably half of that size. So the space is tiny compared to other areas where software is applied. Right. Yeah. And how much of the market like doesn't use software? Like How do, much do, of the market... Well, doesn't use any translation software. I've always wondered, like, how much of the translation industry is just like sending Word docs and translating them in Word and sending Word docs back and just doing it like the old school way? A fair amount. I mean, in the numbers of people who do that, probably if you take all bilinguals in the world do translation sometimes, probably most of them would do it in Word. Uh, the professional translators and especially companies that have to do with professional localization programs, they, they're all use capitals with really rare exceptions. Maybe maybe 5% in terms of number of, of companies that have to deal with any kind of form still don't use any tools. Some of them actually elect not to use any tools. And uh, this recent gala in Munich, I met a company uh, from the United States that uh, actually have a policy if they detect anyone using technology from among their suppliers, they terminate with them immediately. So no wow. technology. Why? How come? Yeah. <laughs> I knew that one. <laughs> I mean, obviously, we're a technology company. Why? <laughs> no, they deal with special kind of documents. They don't want any reuse of previous translations. They have this kind of relationships with clients in place. And whenever they feel like someone's using TM or MT, they perceive this as a threat of quality or security and they terminate it. At least that's what they told me. I believe that uh, probably some of the use of technology would be undetectable. Mm-hmm. Like uh, someone would go and do a ninja technology scenario in this space. Do you think that's mostly related to you know, lack of trust in the security systems in place within the technology? Well, in such cases, security threats from technology are only understood by a handful of people, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And percentage. I, I think that comfortable always beats uh, scared, right? You might be afraid that uh, Amazon Echo is recording your private conversations, but you're still using it. Mm-hmm. Do you have an Echo at home, Tanya? I do not. Well, actually, I do. Not true. I do. I'm not using it, though. <laughs> uh, is it for security reasons? No. We did use it before, but it's broke now. But see, that's exactly the thing. Sorry, like, you have a better reason, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I mean, I personally just don't believe in that. For me, it's kind of paranoia because then you cannot go on the internet if you're really lacking, if you're not trusting at all, basically. Right, but there are some people that don't use mobile phones or don't carry mobile phones around their person because they would record their location. Or they'll use a mobile phone which doesn't have GPS. But yeah. it's only a, a tiny minority. Maybe my grandmother belongs to that minority because she, she doesn't need GPS on her phone. But it's not because she's afraid to know to which shop uh, she actually went today. Hmm. Well, I think we're shocked. <laughs> Well, shocked. And then I don't know, you know, there's a there. Well, I don't know if you have like a bad vibes index at NIMSI, but I think sometimes the localization industry has there's some bad vibes going around from time to time. And I, I don't know how that plays into people's uh, overall take on language technology. But uh, and I don't know if that's because of price pressures or if it's because, like you mentioned, that, you know, making money doesn't mean you're actually profiting or. No, no, uh, mm -hmm. we don't have a bad vibes uh, index uh, at NIMSI. Uh, we try to be very optimistic and positive about what's going on. That's better. Uh, yeah. I mean, our, our color is yellow, right? Uh, how, how more optimistic can you get? <laughs> Maybe you need a good vibes index. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, good vibes index. All right. I can leave with that. So we briefly talked about translators before and you know it all comes down to the, the work that translators do is there any interesting numbers in the report regarding the translators not too many we've estimated the number of translators in the world but of course you have professional translators and then you have uh, bilinguals and uh, new business models in the industry increasingly rely on, on bilinguals for mt review well, so let's let's wrap it up then. That's that was actually the last question on the list, and and maybe you should take just a quick moment to tell people how they can subscribe to NIMSI reports. Right to subscribe to NIMSI reports, you just go to the website, you find the subscription box, and you enter your email, and then you get all the latest information and updates in your inbox. We update every week, so look out for the email on Mondays. Cool. Awesome. Well. That was a great podcast about the top 100 LSPs of 2019. And thank you so much for joining us in this episode, Constantine. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Have a great day.